All right, good morning, uh, everybody. Like Brennan said, we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, great to see folks. And what I love is, um, <clears throat> I know, especially in the first service, and uh, I assume the same is true, right? It's great for most every week. We have people coming out who are new, never been in Calvary before, and walk through the doors for the first time. So uh, that's awesome. We're grateful that you're willing. There's a lot of things you could be doing in life. And for you to take time on a Sunday morning to come be with us for a few moments, we're grateful for and another cool thing that happened the first service that has also happened this service is there are some of you that I have not seen for 367 days, give or take a day or two. Uh, man, so it's just been really great. I mean, there's a, 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 a handful of folks who are back here today who this is their first Sunday back, and uh, it's an honor to see you back here, and we've missed you, and uh, we're grateful for all of you who have been back for a while and are here with us, and we're grateful for all of you who have been worshiping with us online. Um, <clears throat> for whatever reason, you're choosing not to be back, but you're still participating in our community virtually, and so we're grateful for you being here. Uh, so thanks. Thanks to a bunch of you who are in person. It's been great to see the past couple of weeks uh, our people step up in different ways. We continue uh, as probably in your schools or whatever, right? Somebody's got the quarantine, some blah, 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 contact tracing. So it's kind of a constant little shuffle. And amidst that shuffle on some of our team, who for whatever reason have been impacted, man, a bunch of you have stepped up to help fill some gaps. Our tech team is rocking it and has been rocking it the past few weeks. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for those of you who are looking just fill a need. Uh, some of you have seen a need with uh, mowing the lawn. And so, man, appreciate those of you who are just looking for needs to, to fill in. And like I said a few weeks ago, um, <clears throat> and I mean this, we are planting a church. Uh, you are our core group. And we have this great facility. Uh, and people have been starting to come. And now we who feel comfortable or are here in person, have the opportunity to step up to serve others who are in person. We're here, uh, and we get to serve one another. And so it's a great opportunity to continue to do that. In the coming weeks, think about ways that maybe some of you can step into some new things to help make sure uh, we're caring and we're serving for each other. A couple of things we're excited about, like Brandon said, the day of fun. There's about 150 of us who are already signed up to go to Beardsley Zoo to see the amazing white-tailed deer <laughs> in its native habitat, right? Um, but that's great. Different ways uh, organically, community spreading up. If you haven't signed up, you have an opportunity to do it. Uh, another two quick things we're excited about is we are next week, one of the things we, we really want to do now that we're building back in ministries, looking at who's here, how we can do things, we want to make sure that if people visit who have children and don't want them, you know, it's a challenge for them to be in the service with them, or perhaps our families who are here, who's like, man, I, you know, I mean, Peter, you're fine, but I'd love some age-appropriate stuff for my kids and, and their level of education. So what we're going to do is we want to make sure we're discipling, we're educating, we're creating places for Kids, um, and so next week we're really excited about this. That at the early service, at the nine o'clock service, we're going to offer a kids programming from birth through fifth grade. So if you're at home and something that's kept you from coming back is there's not a place for your kids, then next week, the nine o'clock service, there will be a place for your kids, birth through fifth grade. Um, if some of you, uh, that would be help to you. We'd love to make you aware of that, and we're excited about that. That that might be a way to serve 
um, families who are checking us out. And if you want your kids in here, we love that. And if for your own family situation, it helps you not to have your children um, in this environment, <clears throat> then we want to create that space for you also. So, and then we're going to be rolling out uh, something that we've had at Calvary. Again, we're starting to roll back some environments, create some new environments. But we've had something for grown-ups called equipping classes, where we get together in a mid-sized gathering and we talk about um, different things from a biblical perspective. It's a way that we can help disciple one another as we think about what issues are out there, what does the Bible say about it, how do we grow. And so we're going to be starting one of those. We're going to be relaunching one of those for about six or seven weeks. We are scheduled to launch it next week, but with a family day being shuffled in maybe a week or two, here's what it's going to be, though. It's going to be after this service, and we're going to have some lunch together. And some days you can bring your own tuna fish sandwich. Who knows? Another day we may throw some hot dogs on the grill. But it's going to kind of be this organic, cool, but yet meaningful time in community to talk about how the Bible talks about some really important issues. And so we're going to provide that information to you, but we're excited about that. So I wanted to just let you know what God's doing. Thanks for your part in it. We are excited about... Uh, <clears throat> new ways to serve one another, and then relaunching some existing ways that have been meaningful and will continue to be meaningful. So you did not come, though, I don't think, to hear announcements. Maybe you came hoping that now everything will be done and you can go home. But that's not going to happen, because we got a great opportunity to hear what God has to say from his word. And so let me pray, and then we're going to jump into that and walk through some things together in our text. Father, uh, we do come <clears throat> before you grateful for what you're doing and how you're working. We're grateful for the chance to open up your word again another Sunday and, and just see what you have for us. And your word is active. It does not return void. There is a purpose for every person who's in the room today or watching online uh, and something that you have for them. And there's nothing that I have. Uh, I know that this, these truths are something you're working in my own heart, Father. So I am grateful for how you will continue to work those in my heart through this text and how you'll work in the hearts of others. And so will you have the Holy Spirit work and will Jesus be honored and glorified? And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Well, a great question that maybe some of you have asked is this question of how do I discern God's will, right? How, how do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know if he wants me to take the job, start the job, marry the girl, break up with the boy, go there, do there, right? How, how do we know God's will? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever wondered that question? How do I discern it? That is a great question, but it is not the question we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> great question. How do I know God's will? Important to know, important to figure out. How does he want me to live generally? What does he want me to do sometimes specifically? How do I discern it? Great question, but not the question for today. The question for today is this. The issue for today is, okay, when I know God's will, when I know what he wants me to do, when I know generally the way in which he wants me to live, or in some of those moments where I know the step of faith he wants me to take, or the act of obedience he wants me to take, when I know that, and when I'm acting according to that, and when I'm following God's will, when I'm on the exact path that God wants for me, and then something comes along that is challenging, that is hard, that's a curveball, that's an obstacle that takes the wind out of our sails. What do we do then? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about how do we know God's will. What we're going to talk about is when we know God's will, when we know what he wants us to do, and we're doing those things, and then there's the challenge, there's the obstacle, there's the 
big pothole and we face it and there's fears and there's questions that swirl, what do we do then? How should we respond then, right? Because in those moments, we're gonna be tempted to think something. We're gonna be tempted to respond in some way and the question is, okay, what, what, what's an appropriate way to respond? How should we not respond? We're gonna think about that today because we're tracking through the Old Testament. If you're new online or you're new in here or you just have not paid attention to Calvary Church for 367 days, what we usually we do is we open up a book of the Bible and we preach kind of chat paragraph through paragraph, verse by verse. We're doing something different this half a year. We're going through the Old Testament because there's a lot of stories in there that some of us don't even know. There's a, lot of sto- a few stories some of us may know. And what we're thinking about is how do those things all fit together? How do those things all connect? And so we've been tracking this group of people, the Israelites, that are now the Jewish people, but we call them the Israelites then, and we've been seeing their story. And here's the deal, right? I don't have a timeline to review today, but what I'd love to do instead of a timeline is give you a Bible reference. Psalm 105. Write it down, text it, do a hieroglyphic in the air and take a picture of it. I don't know. Psalm 105, here's the great thing. If you want to know everything that we've talked about to this point, Psalm 105 is this summary, this cliff note, right, uh, that kind of walks through the story to this point. And so here's where we are in the story. If you read that, if you remember what you're going to know, and here's where we can all pick up together, is that there's this group of people who have grown over time, some relatives of Abraham who become a people group, the Israelites, and through centuries, they've had this thing they're looking forward to, their own land, their own territory. I know for some of us, um, maybe one thing you've been looking forward to or you are looking forward to is that day where you're like, man, I just want to get my own house. Maybe you're still just coming out of school or trade, you got debt, and you're like living with mom and dad, and you're like, dad, I just want to get out of here. I want to get my own little house where I can mow my own little lawn, where I can have my own little grubs, eat all my grass so I figure out what to do with it, right? Maybe you've been married for a while and you're living in an apartment and you're trying to save money, and you're looking forward to this place of your own, a home. Well, the Jewish people weren't looking forward to a house. They were looking forward to, more broadly, this land. And through all of the drama in Abraham's family tree and the dysfunction through all of his relatives, there was this promise, there was this echo of one day you're going to have land. This land's coming. It tracks all the way back to what God told, kind of this Uh, framework we're walking through, a promise that he made to Abraham, and he said this, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. I'm going to give you land. You're going to get some land. That echo, that refrain, that promise, that purpose, that will was within their hearts and their minds when they got released as slaves from Egypt, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Moses came back and reminded them of this promise, and he said this to them, reminding them of that same promise. He said these words to them, And when the Lord brings you into the land, right, this land, they can't get away from it. They're looking forward to it. They're yearning for it. It is God's will for them to enter into the land. It is a promise that God has made to them that you're going to enter into the land. They're now at the place in the story where, man, they, they, they see that border up ahead. They know they're on the the verge of being a few days away from finally crossing into that land. And they're going to do something. And what they're going to do is they're going to send some spies into the land. And I'm going to just kind of read two different passages for you. 
And I just want to explain something because if you read this story in two different places, there could appear to be a little inconsistency. And I just want to educate all of us. Sometimes when we see stories presented different ways, people can say, see, that shows that the whole thing's all made up. So let's kind of, as they're on the verge of entering the land, and this conversation of the spies comes up. Let, let's see what they do. We, we can read about this in one place. Um, in Deuteronomy 1, it says these words. Ah, it's on the screen. <laughs> I'm staring here like, oh, it's there. This is what it said. It continues to say the same thing. Amazing. Then we set out from Horeb and went all through that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country. This is Moses talking to the people, recounting things. Hill country is the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. This is going to be an important geographic place, right? This is in the story that we're going to pick up where they are today. Huge landmark in their faith journey, Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, hey, you've come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord is giving to us. This is what Moses was saying. Look, the border crossing is right there. You're right on the edge of it. Right, which the Lord is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord your God, your fathers, has told you. Do not fear and be dismayed, reminding them of the promise. Then all of you came near to me and said, Hey, Moses, let's send some men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we should come. So they're saying, Moses, let's send some spies. And Moses said, yeah, the thing sounded good to me. And so I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. In this account, what this suggests is that, hey, the people suggested the spies. Moses said to do it. Okay, that, that sounds great, right? That's not bad. But the only challenge would come if you read this account out of Numbers where we're in, 13, chapter 13, verse 1. It said this, and we don't, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and what the verse continues is saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out Canaan. And so what sometimes happens is, we read Deuteronomy that says the people's idea was to send out the the spies. We read this to say, well, God sends to send out the spies. And we could think, ah, it's just a bunch of made up. It's just wrong. The Bible's inconsistent. You can't believe it. Well, that's not true. Because you can reconcile these two stories together, and when theologians do that, when scholars do that, what is very likely going on here is this, that as they were close to the border, the people did come up to Moses, and they're like, Moses, we know God's given us this land, but hey, just an idea. Why don't we send some dudes and go spy it? Why don't we drop in behind enemy lines and check it out? Moses heard that idea and thought, okay, tell you what, let me pray about it. Moses then goes to prayer, And what Numbers is capturing is that God comes to Moses and says, okay, Moses, the idea that you're presenting, yeah, sounds good. Go ahead, do what you guys think is wise. Go ahead and send the spies into the land. And so then Moses goes back to the people and says, hey, let's send the spies into the land. It's not a inconsistency that shows the Bible is not true. It's two different perspectives that can be aligned together that actually affirm the strength of the Bible. So then the, the, the spies are sent into land, right? So what happens next after right, these, these two different parties decide to spend the, send the spies? What happens next? So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. 
And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether are few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. That's kind of random. Hey, go tell me if there's a maple tree in the land. Be of good, be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time of the season was the first of ripe grapes, late summer. What they're supposed to do is go get some objective information. Go get some facts. He doesn't say, tell me whether we should do it. It's already determined. This is God's will. This is God's plan. This is God's promise. You just get some facts and report those back to me. Now, the first place they go, we read, was this area called the Negev. And we've got a map um, to kind of, let me kind of set where we are, right? So you remember they were in Egypt. They got out of Egypt. They had the deal where they crossed the Red Sea. They got the law. We talked about that. And they're right here in this area of Kadesh Barnea. Again, the choices they make here are not good. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then throughout the Old Testament, this location is going to be a spiritual marker in their journey where God's going to say, down the road, guys. I mean, as we continue in the story, Kadesh Barnea pops up thousands of years later where God's going to say, guys, what you did here, don't do it again. So they're starting in Kadesh Barnea. They're going to go up here into to this area. So we got another map that kind of zooms in a little bit to show you some more. So here's the Negev, right? So they're kind of starting down here. Um, this is like this transitional piece of geography. I don't know much about topography, so I don't know exactly. I don't know. Is it a savanna? No. Here's what it is, right? This transition between fertile, here's the hill country, and then fertile area and desert. The Negev is that transitional piece. So they cruise through here. They're going to go south to north through a wide scope of this land. They're going to end up up here in Hebron. So they go through the Negev. They go through the hill country. And then what we see is Moses kind of continues to tell us what happened in this verse and this next place that they end up and it says they went up into the Negev and they came to Hebron. We saw it on the map. Now Hebron, when they wandered into town, when they saw it from a distance with their night vision Navy SEAL Israelite glasses, right, what they would have seen in that hazy green night vision glasses was this big fortified city, this area. But, but that's not necessarily what have been biggest in their mind because these guys would have known about Hebron before. Because it was in Hebron, outside of this area, centuries earlier, where God first come, came to Abraham and said, Abraham, outside of Hebron, God and Abraham saying, Abraham, this land, I'm going to give it to you. This is my will for you. This is my path for you. This is my promise to you. They were now standing in the general vicinity where centuries and centuries earlier in that same vicinity, God said, I'm going to give this to you. The piece of land should have been lodged in their mind. <clears throat> my wife and I got engaged in Jacksonville, Florida, the bold new city of the South. And before we got engaged, we went out to dinner at the chart house. Now, before we went to the chart house, 
I'd gone to this little like Southern Jacksonville version of the Galaxy Diner. And I had met with her father. I'd called my guy who would eventually become my father-in-law a few weeks before. Hey, I'd love to talk to you. And he's like, I'm telling you the longer version. It's okay, it's gonna take three minutes, but I'm really into the story now, so bear with me. Right? I said to you, hey, I'd love to come down and talk to you. Casey and I had been dating for a while, a, a while. And uh, he said, oh, that's great. Bring Casey and we'll get to all chat. And I said, no, I need to come alone. And he said, oh. <clears throat> he then said, as I got down there, let's go out to breakfast. I love breakfast. Who doesn't like two eggs over easy, rye toast, buttered, hash brown, slightly crispy, right? So we went out to breakfast, and he's an attorney. And he said, I kind of did the spiel, love to marry your daughter. She's great. He said, well, Peter, I just have a few questions for you. And I went, ha, ha, ha. And then he pulled out a legal pad. And I went, oh, you're so funny, Quest. There were like 24 questions. Ah, so we went for the 24 questions. I got his approval. We're now at the chart house where there's seafood. I have on a blazer with the ring in my pocket. I am nauseous. <laughs> right? We then, though, after the chart house, after I do not vomit all over my shrimp cocktail, we then go to this part of Jacksonville, this little village vibey thing known as San Marco. There's this bulkhead on the St. John's River. The stars are shining. The, the, the warm Florida humid breezes are just wrapping around you like a hug from Jesus. Right? The water is lapping on the bulkhead. I get down, this story is the worst illustration. It has something to do with something. I get down on my knees. I ask her. She gives the best answer ever. Yes! And now we're married, right? Many, many wonderfully, amazingly great years. Whenever we go back to Jacksonville, Florida, whenever we go to San Marco, whenever we drive past that bulkhead, that piece of land where that significant thing happens, it triggers memories. It reminds us of things. That land, that space reminds us of what happened there years earlier. When the spies were around Hebron, they should have been reminded not of a wedding proposal, but of a promise of God ingrained in their minds. So they get up to Hebron, they spy the place out, they think they have a good report, and then what they do is they kind of come back, right? So let's see what happens next in the narrative. At the end of 40 days, that's going to be important later, they return from spying out the land. Right, so now it's the report. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all. This is like the good news, bad news. Right, good news, bad news. When is good news, bad news, what do you like to hear first? Who likes to hear the bad news first? Who likes to hear the good news first? Oh, I don't know what that means. All right, so, so they give them the good news first, right? Hey, here's the good news. They, they came to Moses and Aaron to tell the congregation of the people in Israel in the wilderness of Purim. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation. And they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, hey, here's the good news. We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. There are lots of great things about this land, they're saying. And here's the bad news. However, it's never good when however. When the mechanic tells you, Hey, I was able to figure out what's wrong with your car. However, okay. however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. 
and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak, the, those descendants were this, this just physically large, strong, powerful people, right? Here's, at this point, there are 12 spies, and there is agreement among those 12 spies as to the facts. There is agreement about the fact that, hey, God has promised us this land. There is agreement about going into this land as part of God's will for our life. That is the path that he is calling us to. There is agreement about the fact that there's some great things about that land. And everybody agrees that there's also, but man, there's some challenges. On the path that God has for us, on where he has us walking, there's some really difficult things that are just around the corner that we're going to face. Everybody in that group of 12 spies agrees about that. But then there's going to become a disagreement. There's going to become a differing perspective about, okay, now how do we respond in light of those facts? What do we think now? What do we do now? How do we act now in light of the circumstances of which we all agree? And we're going to see a difference in how the people choose to respond and a difference in which two different groups of people respond to things that they face as they're walking in the will of God. As they're navigating down the path that God has for them completely in the center of his will. And they're confronted with a curveball, with an obstacle, with a problem that's really overwhelming. <clears throat> they're going to have to choose how to respond. And one group's going to respond one way, and another group's going to respond a different way. And you and I are going to have moments in our life when we are right in the center of God's will. You may have heard the cliche, which is true, that the best place to be is the center of God's will. Yes, it is. But that doesn't mean it's always the easiest place to be. And when you and I are dead set, <clears throat> sometimes we know his will, we know his plan, we know his purposes, and we're walking that. And that thing comes. We're going to have to decide how we're going to respond. How are we going to view it? What's our next steps going to be? Well, we're going to see in this historical account two different groups of people who, in light of facts that they all agree upon, have two different reactions. Two groups. First group is this. Ten of the spies and all the people. Ten spies and tens of thousands of people. The majority. Second group's reaction is going to be two spies and two of the leaders, minority. How, how do these two different groups respond to facts upon which they totally agree? Well, let's think about the way that the 10 spies respond. 10 of these people who were the Navy SEALs dropped in the lines with their night vision glasses who saw all this stuff, right? H how do those guys respond? Here's what they say. Then the men who had gone up with him, right? So if you're reading this story, um, I'm moving some things a little out of sequence to focus on these two groups. But here's the response of the 10 men. <clears throat> the men who had gone up with them said, we 
are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. Okay, what's this word? It's not in Greek, Hebrew, it's English. We, right? These guys saw, we, here's, the, here's my perspective. We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Right, that, that pronoun about the we, look, there's an obstacle, and we, we can't overcome this. It's interesting what's not in here. There's an old gimmicky trial lawyer technique where they would say to a witness as they're trying to prove a point about what the witness didn't say or didn't include. They would turn to the witness, and now they probably do with Apple Pencil, and they'd say, witness, will you take this Apple Pencil and will you highlight for me here where you're talking about what God might be able to do? Just go ahead and highlight that. And then you'd be a little dramatic. Like, oh, you haven't highlighted it yet. Can you? No, no, no. Maybe you didn't understand. This is always the cute lawyer sound. Maybe you didn't understand what I was asking you to do correctly. Will you highlight for me in here where it talks about God coming and potentially providing? And the person will say, I can't highlight it. Why can't you highlight it? Because it's not there. It's not there. What's here is we can't do this. What's not there is any mention, but God can. They're ignoring it. They're overlooking it. They're not thinking about it. Focusing on the obstacles, no mention, no focus on God. How does that then cause these people to react? Right? What, what happens to the people? Well, the people hear this, and they're listening to this, and, and so the ten spies and the people are going to this. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. The people are not weeping because they're saying to themselves, man, there is this obstacle, but God is so faithful. And I am emotionally moved because I trust God. I know he's going to provide, and I'm weeping in joy and belief. That ain't why they're weeping. They're weeping because they were following the path of God and God has allowed an obstacle to come up that is scaring them, that is bigger than them, that they don't know what to do, that they can't overcome, and they are emotionally freaking out. The people, congregation, people wept the night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that we have died in this wilderness? A little dramatic, but sometimes fear causes us to be dramatic in our emotional reaction. And then he says this, why is the Lord bringing this into the land to fall by the sword? Why is God doing this? I'm following this path. I'm in the center of his will. I'm doing everything that he said that I should do. And he's going to allow these giants and these fortified cities and these warrior tribes, like he's going to make me deal with that. Why is God doing this to make me fall by the sword? Again, like we talked about a few weeks ago in our fear sermon, worst case scenario that God never planned to have happen, but they jump there. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader from among us, right? And go back to Egypt. Egypt. Here's what they're saying. They're in the will of God. They saw this obstacle, and they're saying this. We cannot do it. We can't do it, so let's not do it. 
Let's get right on the edge of what God is calling us to do. That obstacle comes, that trial comes. We can't do it. So now we're just stuck. We don't want to go forward. We don't want to go ahead. Right? We can't do this. So let's not. Let's stop. Let's get stuck in fear. Let's get discouraged. Let's not have any way to know how to move on. That was the first group's response. But there's a second group, a minority group. Out of all those people, two spies and two leaders who, who say this. Caleb, one of the spies, is going to be the spokesperson for that perspective. Again, a little out of sequence, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, hey, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are all well over able to come it. Now, this is really, really important. He's using the same pronoun, we, but he's not saying, I in my own strength can do this. The reason he's saying we can do this is because of what he also adds into this, where he says this as he continues in this conversation. And he said to the congregation, of the people of Israel. The land which we pass through to spy it is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. His confidence and conversation continues. And he says this in the next phrase, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred to us, their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Because the Lord is with us. Caleb agrees to all the obstacles. He agrees that what's in front of them, man, that's a problem. He agrees that on their own, they don't have the resources <clears throat> to overcome that problem. But here's what he's saying, right? God can do it for us. So let's go. What they're saying, we can't do it. So I don't want to do it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm getting freaked out. I'm going to cry all night. I, I just am stuck. And two leaders and two spies are like, guys, God can do it for us. So let's go. Now, for this group of people, what was at the root of what caused them to think this? What, what was under this? Well, later God's going to tell <clears throat> Moses what led the people to have this response to the majority. And this is what he says later to Moses about the root for that. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of of all the signs that I have done among them. If I remember correctly, by about this time in the journey, if you take out the plagues, there's been about 10 or 11 miraculous things that God's done. 10 or 11 miraculous ways that God's provided for them. And what he's saying is, but you know what their problem is? They still don't really believe that I can do this. They still aren't willing to fully trust me in this moment. Both groups 
agreed upon the good things they would face. Both groups agreed upon the absolute challenges that presented to them as they followed God's will. Both groups agreed that the people were stronger than they were. But one group couldn't stop looking at the challenges and couldn't stop trying to bring their own resources up against the challenges and when they didn't have enough or weren't good enough, not wanting to go forward and freaking out. But the other group simply chose that they were going to believe God, that they were going to look to what God had done in the past, that they were going to depend upon his promises for him in the present, that they knew they were on the path that he wanted them to be on, and they're like, man, let's go. Let's go. I came across this quote as I was studying this, and here's what it said. It's by a guy named Warren Wearsby. I don't have the exact reference. The will of God will never lead us where the grace of God can't provide for us or the power of God protect us. I'll tighten it up a little bit. God's will will never lead you where his grace can't provide for you or his power can't protect you. God's will for you and for me and for us will never lead you to a place where his grace can't provide for you or where his power can't protect you. Two spies, two leaders believe that. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, believing things is sometimes hard because there's part of us that, yeah, okay, we believe that, but we don't feel that. So let me just, <clears throat> let, let, me, let me give you some tools to help you. Tools. I happen to think that I am a handy person. My beautiful wife who's sitting right up here will probably disagree with you, but I still think I'm right. I still think I'm handy, right? But, but here is a, a legitimate problem that I have. I also kind of think if you have a screwdriver and a crescent wrench, that's all you need, <clears throat> right? I gotta replumb my bathroom, that don't matter. I got me a crescent wrench and a screwdriver and I'm just gonna make it work. That's a problem. Because if you don't got the right tools, your job's a lot harder, right? Have you ever tried to do a job where you need a specific tool and you're just trying to make it, uh, right? The tools are really important. So, so let me just give some tools to you and a lot of this, to be honest, comes out of the past week and a half of my own story. Um, how, how do we believe this? How do we cling to it? If we don't want to be people of disbelief, if we want to have faith, like, okay, how do we do that? So, so here's a couple of just practical things that in love I would encourage you to do. Ready? Here's the first thing. Have some Bible verses memorized. Now, I don't say that. Anybody here know what a sword drill is? Oh, this is unique. There's more people in this service than the earlier service. It's an interesting demographic study. Okay, sword drill, right? I'm not telling you to memorize a Bible verse for a sword drill. Or there's ministries, man, memorize Bible verses. You get plaques in kindergarten. If you memorize verses, sometimes in science school, you get stickers and a Snickers bar. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying I'm not telling you to do this just for the sake of doing it so you can brag to other Christians. I'm saying do it because it is a tool that is helpful. 
Because when you're in the middle of walking down God's will on that path, and that obstacle comes that's beyond your ability, you need in that moment to have your mind just triggered. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Worry about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. We need these because they will pop up and they will be one firewall to try to stop us from going down a path of disbelief. Here's the second thing. As we're trying to believe this as a prayer, second tool, ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe. There's a guy in the Bible in the New Testament, Jesus is like, hey, bro, do you believe? And he's like, yeah, I do believe, but I need help because I have a lot of unbelief. Will you help me with my unbelief? I need help believing what I need to be true because a lot of times my emotions tell me totally different things. My circumstances tell me different things. I can see those. I can't see God. So I get fixated on those. And I need the Holy Spirit to yank me into a place of belief. Third tool is this. This is my own baggage. I'm a weirdo, so this probably doesn't apply to anybody else in the room. Okay, this is what I do. If I was like the spies, I'd be like, okay, so, okay, I think God's going to help me, but this is how he's going to do it. We have like a battalion over here. We got some little kids over there. I could train them as soldiers. Maybe God's going to do that. Then God, and I try to figure out how gonna, God's going to do it. Okay, I believe God. I believe he's going to do it, but at the same time, I'm going to figure out the means that he's going to use. And then when I don't see how it's all going to connect and I start getting freaked out again, here's the third tool. Stop trying to figure out whether God could really do it and how he might do it, and just choose to believe what he says. Stop trying to figure out with the available stuff you see around you, man, can God really do this? Or how's he going to do it? And just simply believe what he says. And when you can't believe what he says, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And when you need help, Man, you pull, out that, you pull out that safety net of those Bible verses and you grab them and you just keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it and these are tools to help us get the job done properly. Doesn't mean we're going to always be able to do it. It's helpful. Fourth one is this. Surround yourself with some people who will speak truth to you about God. <clears throat> Surround yourself with some people who will speak truth to you about God. So what happens? Well, what happens in this case is, unfortunately, the majority rules. And people are like, nope, not going. Can't do it. Don't want any part of it. So God says, guys, I got to teach you some stuff. And unfortunately, the lessons that you need to learn, you need to learn, but, but I got to teach the generation after you. 
so they don't make the same mistakes. And so here's what their consequence was. Here's what flowed from their unwillingness to believe God when that obstacle came. But truly as I live, God says this, and all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs I did in Egypt in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. It continues and says this, and none of those who despise me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, and later we're gonna see Joseph, and we're gonna see that one of those leaders is gonna get in, because he is a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And then he continues right in another place. Now since the Amalekites and Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the sea. This is such a pity because the Israelites, as they followed God's paths, were one step away from moving into what he had for them. And he didn't plan to let them die by the sword. He was going to provide for them. They were one step away from experiencing all of that. But they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. And so what God says is, it was right there. Turn around, start walking. Now, I'm not, listen, be very careful. I'm not saying that if we have faith in God, he is going to give, give us Lear Jets and Bentleys and new Ford Broncos and scholarships to Columbia University for our kids. This is not prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel says, if you have enough faith and you just believe God, he's going to give you all this great stuff that you want. That is a lie. That is unbiblical. That is not heresy. I am not saying that. What I am saying is God let these people know what he'd promised them. He let them know the path they were on. An obstacle came. He wanted them to believe and just keep walking down the path. And they said, nope. So he said, okay, I got to teach you something. And in this instance, the only way I can teach you is by giving you exactly what you think you want, even though it's the worst thing for you. So you want to go back to Egypt? Turn around and start walking in that direction. Then they continue, and he says this, right? Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness, and all your number, listen to the census, from 20 years old upward, have grumbled against me. You're not going to come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Then he links it with his 40 years. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, right? You're all worried about them being killed. I'm going to bring them in, and they're going to know all the good stuff that you've rejected. But as for your dead body shall fall in this wilderness, your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. And this begins in the story of the Bible and the story of the Israelite people, 40-year wandering, shaping, teaching, developing process for the Jewish people who didn't believe to try to increase their faith in God, even though they had initial disbelief, and for the generation that would come after them that would step into and continue to walk down the path and the blessings that God had for them. The next generation is going to take over, and so that then, then the story, we're at this 40-year wandering, and that's where we find ourselves. Punishment's ironic, right? They wanted to go back, so he sent them back. 
They're worried about their kids dying in the land that he promised. And he's like, man, they're going to live in the land that they promised. But you're going to die in the desert. And I'm going to invite the worship team up here as we, we end our time together with a song. Um, but, but here's what I know from their story. And here's what I know from my story and probably from a lot of your story. Many times as we're walking down the path that God has for us and obeying God's will, many times the trials that we face and the fears that they cause for you and the things that I have to process through ultimately are being used by God to reveal the idols that we rely upon. We all have something that we look to to give us security. We all have something that we look to to give us meaning and confidence and hope and a sense that it's all going to be okay and a sense that a very shaky world is somehow less shaky. We all have that thing. And way too many times in my life and way too many times in the life of too many people in reality... What you realize is that thing isn't Jesus. I mean, you believe in Jesus, but then there's something functionally you look to to make it all work. And we sometimes walk a path in God's will where God takes that stake out of our hearts and our souls. Have you ever had a splinter that's, that's, that's lodged really deeply? I mean, it is a big splinter lodged deeply, and you got to go in, and you got to dig, and you got to pull that out to get that out, and that hurts. And their story, and my story, and our story is that until we see Jesus, we will all have things lodged in our hearts that we all look to to some degree as an idol in place of Jesus. And our Father loves us so much that He says, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull that thing out of you because it's not good for you because that's only going to let you down. <clears throat> and I'm going to pull it out of you by having you encounter things in the center of my will that are hard to make you assess again what are you really depending upon in that moment. And they provide us with a chance come to a place where we more fully and completely and honestly are satisfied by Jesus and depend on him more fully. And it hurts, but it's worth it. And we're going to sing this song, and the bridge of the song are some words that I hope can be a prayer for us, where it says this, I won't bow to idols, I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. I invite you when we come to that part of the song, that that be our prayer and that be our ask. And that together as a community before God who loves us, we, we sing those words and claim those words together. Let's worship.